Hello, and welcome to our very first episode of A Pinch of Prevention. We are so ecstatic to be here with you today. A Pinch of Prevention is a podcast associated with Evansville's very own Prevention Youth Council. Our mission is to uplift the voices of teens by providing them with opportunities to advocate for the communities and themselves. My name is Prachi Patel. And I'm Katherine Titzer, and we're both rising seniors at Signature School. And today we are elated to be here with the fantastic Miss Lori Liu. And she also brings with her over three decades of experience with domestic abuse and violence situations through her career as a family law attorney based here in Los Angeles. And what makes her even more fantastic is that she also happens to be my amazing aunt. Today, we will be discussing what domestic violence entails, what to do if you are in a domestic violence abuse relationship, along with how to help someone else who is experiencing an abusive relationship, all from the perspective of an attorney. Lori, thank you so much for speaking with us today and sharing your perspective on domestic violence. I'm so happy to speak to you. When I heard that you had the podcast about domestic violence, I really wanted to get involved because truly domestic violence is an issue that's all around our society and we can help people help themselves. All right. So first of all, to start off, what is domestic violence? Domestic violence refers to basically when there is a certain type of violence, which I'll get into, between people who are married to each other or boyfriend and girlfriend or in a dating relationship. So if a stranger were to hit you, that would not be considered domestic violence. That would be civil harassment. Domestic violence, unfortunately, is very common and it's become a big, a big problem all over the country and probably all over the world because in the types of relationships between boyfriends and girlfriends and spouses or in a dating relationship, there's emotion involved. And sometimes that emotion can lead to domestic violence. So what are we talking about when we talk about domestic violence? In prior years, I would say two, three decades ago, People would not really consider domestic violence, domestic violence or violence unless there were bruises or somebody went to the hospital or there were physical signs of physical battery. And if you had not suffered being punched or kicked or um, some other physical injury or battery, it wouldn't be really considered domestic violence. But through these Recent years, especially during my career, because I started practicing as a lawyer in 1990, there has been a very, very large and steep growth to the whole body of knowledge surrounding domestic violence, what it is, the horrible ramifications it can have to the victims and to the children and really to society. So domestic violence is no longer confined to physical violence. It is, even in the statute, we talk about harassing, threatening, stalking, disturbing the peace. Those words are actually in the California statute, disturbing the peace. So this is obviously much more expansive than it used to be. And it should be more expansive because 
if you think about breaking your arm, your bones will heal. And there are things that we can do to heal your bones. When you go through the trauma and the crisis of enduring domestic violence, you develop injuries that can be lifelong. And these injuries can really devastate a person's life if it goes untreated. And unfortunately, many domestic violence victims don't seek help. Wow, what an amazing response. So in your time as an attorney, what is an example or what do you what is an example that you think really represents domestic violence? I'm going to share um, a couple of examples of domestic violence, which I think can provide a little perspective. Okay. The first, and by the way, um, I, of course, am not going to be revealing any, any names or information, even though all the information I'm giving is on the public record because it's in court, but for privacy purposes, I'm not going to be, of course, using anybody's name. I might use fake uh, names when I'm telling the stories. Okay. So the first um, issue of domestic violence, which I will always remember for the rest of my life, um, basically shows how there can be domestic violence when the aggressor has some emotional issues. Now, in domestic violence, most times the aggressor is the man and the victim is the woman. But I want to emphasize that that is not always the case. So in this first story, we'll say Jane and Charlie were married to each other. Jane was my client. I'm a family law attorney and I was handling her divorce. And Jane and Charlie had children together, young children. Jane came to me and said, I'm very worried because Charlie did something to me when we were in an argument and I'm concerned that there's going to be other things that happen. And essentially what had happened was they were in an argument in the living room and Charlie got really mad at her and he was sitting facing her very close together and he looked at her and he said, one, two, three, and he headbutted her with all of his force his forehead into her forehead. She fell off the couch, was shocked, crying, screaming, and she called 911. He knew he needed to get out of there. The police would be coming. She left. The police came. The police then talked to her about what happened. Charlie had left the house. But what happens in California is there's a telecommunications law enforcement system where the police can contact a judge, an actual judge, who can issue what they call an EPO, which stands for Emergency Protective Order. And of course, an EPO was issued. So immediately, Jane went and sought the assistance of another attorney, and this attorney helped her to speak to the attorney of Charlie. The two attorneys said, okay, 
Charlie's not going to go anywhere near Jane. The children will stay with Jane. Charlie and his attorneys knew very well that he should not set foot into the court. He should agree to just keep the restraining order in place because uh, the court was surely going to issue an order based upon this horrific um, headbutt incident. And so Jane came to me and she said, I'm feeling a bit uncomfortable with my attorney and I'm feeling like I would like to switch attorneys. And so that's how she came to me. And she told me, and I said, I'm happy to take your case. I want you to feel comfortable with your attorney. And I said, uh, I said, do you not feel comfortable just the fact that he's agreed to stay away and that you have this other order saying he'll stay away? And she said, correct. And she said, let me tell you a few things about him that give me concern. Years ago, I know he told me that he injured an animal and he seemed to not even care about injuring the animal. I think it was a cat. And I thought that was very disturbing. And another time, we were living in a home next to uh, a big tree that was in our neighbor's yard that blocked our view from our bedroom. And he bought a five-gallon jug of tree poison, and he snuck into the neighbor's yard, and he poisoned their tree. I know. And their tree died. They never knew why. And he used to walk around bragging about it. And I thought it was really just terrible that he did that. But I had children with him. We were married. And she said, I didn't get out of the marriage then. I ended up getting out of the marriage after he gave me that headbutt situation, after he headbutted me in the living room. And so I agreed to take Jane's case. And she told me that a couple days later, there was an arrangement for Charlie to come to the house because he had been given a stay away order, but they made an exception. The attorneys and the parties made an exception that he would go to the house and gather his things. So Jane told me that she had put all his things in the garage and that she was going to have two people there to be with her um, so that she would not have to see him. And so he arrived and she, well, she asked me, is that okay if, you know, he's going to be coming to the house? And I said, well, as long as um, you feel safe and that he's not going to be coming in or anything like that. She said, correct. She said, I'm going to put all of the items in the garage and I'll take photographs. And I said, okay. So flash forward a couple days, she called me and there was an incident of domestic violence that day. And I'll tell you what it was. Jane and her two friends were in the living room. They were waiting for Charlie to arrive to obtain his personal belongings, clothes and other items that were in the garage. Jane had put all the items in the garage and she had taken photographs so she could prove what he took and that she had provided it to him. One of the things that Jane did was she was looking at a shelf high up on top of the wall, the garage, and she saw that large container of tree poison. And she had just told me the story about the tree poison. And she thought, hmm, I wonder if this is important, this jug of tree poison. 
So she took a picture of the tree poison and the jug was about a little less than halfway full. It was a five gallon jug of tree poison. Then she took a ladder and she set up the ladder and she went on the top of the ladder and put the jug at the very highest shelf in the corner. Then she put the ladder away and she took pictures of the other belongings. So when Charlie arrived, he had a U-Haul with him. He also, uh, just a little flash forward, he had been drinking because he left a beer can in the garage. That was later. So Charlie came into the garage and saw his things. And then he came to the back door and he would try to open the back door. And he tried to jiggle the back door in a way that he knew it would unlock, but she had fixed it. And so he was sort of knocking loudly on the back door and let me in. Jane's friend, her girlfriend, went to the back and said, motioned for him and said through the door, all your stuff's in the garage, Charlie. You don't have to come in the house. And he said, I get to come in the house and get my stuff. She said, Jane put everything in the garage, go into the garage. And so then the woman walked away. So a little while later, Jane and her two friends were sitting in the living room and they nearly jumped out of their skin because they heard glass shattering. Oh my gosh. I know. And they were looking at each other like, what do we do? What do we do? And so they said, well, maybe he just, maybe he just broke something accidentally. And so Jane said, can you walk around the house and see if he's tried to break a window or break a door or something? So they were walking, scurrying around the house and everything looked unbroken. And they said, what should we do? And they said, let's just wait and see if something else happens. And so they waited and they had the phone poised to call 911. And then they saw through the window about five or seven minutes later, the U-Haul truck leaving. So they were relieved. So they walked into the garage. Jane told me later that she was shaking. And the first thing that she saw was that he had taken an axe and he had smashed a small glass refrigerator in the garage and left the axe with the blade pointing up. That's awful. It was so terrifying and terrorizing for her to see that. And she started crying and she was shaking. Her friend had her arms around her. Then Jane smelled a very strange odor. And then she looked up on the shelf and the tree poison bottle was on the shelf and it was empty. Yes, it was empty. And Jane sniffed and she could smell a strong chemical odor. She went outside to the backyard and she could smell the chemical of the tree poison that Charlie had poured on oak trees, hundred year old oak trees in their backyard. And you think, how crazy is that? That's his house too. And he had poured poison on the children's toys. So Jane was basically hysterical. She called me and told me all this. And I said, Jane, I said, I'm going to take care of you. We're going to go back in and we're going to get another temporary restraining order. And so she took pictures of everything and we got uh, a specialist to come and take samples of the soil near the trees to test it, to prove that there was tree poison in there. And they took the jug of tree poison too, to match it. She was also concerned they had a swimming pool. 
did he put poison in the swimming pool where the children swim? They had three children, two twin girls who were about six years old and a three-year-old boy who um, used the pool. So as an attorney going to court, I have to give what they call ex party or emergency notice. And I called the attorney or wrote the attorney a letter and said, we, you are given notice that we're going to appear in court at 8.30 um, tomorrow to get a temporary restraining order, again, issued against Charlie for um, stay away orders and harassment, et cetera. And we didn't tell them why. <laughs> yeah. And so we arrived to court. And believe me when I say the court papers we had were so great because I had pictures taken by her of the tree poison and the axe and the refrigerator and all his stuff immediately before he came and then immediately after. So we could see the empty poison and see the, the wet marks and she could set forth in her declaration that she could smell the chemical. And what Charlie did was he must have lied to his attorney and said, gee, I have no idea what they're talking about because his attorney prepared a declaration for him that was submitted at the same time saying, we had a home inspection over the weekend and I can't imagine, you know, nothing happened. I, tr I would try to get into the house and I wasn't admitted into the house. If she's upset that I tried to get into the house, that's not appropriate basis for, an, for a temporary restraining order. So he was acting like, oh, me, oh my, I didn't do anything. Thinking that nobody would find out that he broke the refrigerator. I mean, wow, I mean that, that's, that's some pretty crazy stuff. Yeah. So of course, as soon as we issued um, the papers to the judge, we immediately got orders. So that is an example of domestic violence not involving a punch to the face or a kick. It involved other things that were terrorizing to poor Jane. Um, I'm happy to say, though, that we got her restraining order and she's doing fine getting Charlie out of her That's life. Awesome. Wow. So it sounds like this wasn't just an isolated instance of domestic violence, but it was reoccurring. Is there a reason why she didn't um, leave the relationship earlier or? Yes, let me address that. So I'm not going to speak really about Jane specifically, but I'm going to talk to you about victims of domestic violence who I've seen over the many years that I've been encountering domestic violence in my cases. Victims of domestic violence are in a very unique situation. And to outsiders and to people who love these, these victims who are often women, we see from an outside point of view, we hear about somebody awful who's maybe yelling at the victim or controlling her or even physical abuse or verbal abuse or controlling controlling and, and uh, demeaning behavior. And we think to ourselves, oh, it's so black and white. He's so awful. She should leave him. Why is she with him? But truly, 
An outsider doesn't know about a relationship. The only two people who know what goes on in a relationship, good and bad, are the two people in the relationship. If I tell you that my spouse or my boyfriend did something so wonderful, you can say, oh, that sounds great. But you don't truly know how special that made me feel or how much I loved that occasion or, or that personality feature about him. So in domestic violence, which is defined as being in kind of an intimate relationship, uh, either a marriage or boyfriend-girlfriend or a dating relationship, there are competing emotions. There's not just the anger and there's not just the rage or the controlling and the demeaning behavior, but there's also usually the relationship starts because there's love or there's connection or there's things that make the relationship good, or the perpetrator has done such a good job at hiding who he really is and fooling the victim. So a victim can't see it in black and white. So if I was walking down the street and a man came upon me and said, you know, you cut me off and and hurt me, I would have no problem trying to get the man arrested because the only thing I know about that man is he hurt me. But with domestic violence, these women, these victims, which can be men as well, they have in 99.999% of the domestic violence cases I've seen, there's been goodness in the relationship. And so sometimes women will not leave because she is holding on to the goodness The other thing that's very, very, very important, I can't emphasize it enough, is that there is a cycle. A perpetrator can commit domestic violence and hurt the woman and then come back and be very contrite, be very apologetic, and even be very convincing and maybe even really mean, I'll never do it again. I'm so sorry. Just please don't leave me. I promise you it'll never happen again. I love you. I need you. Please don't leave me. And this is all very easily tapping into the victim's sense of, oh, he really does love me. And, oh, I I shouldn't have been nagging him. Or, oh, I, I made him mad and he got impatient. And, oh, he's worked really hard. And, oh, he's under a great amount of stress and pressure. And I shouldn't have done that. And so the perpetrator can really talk the victim out of leaving him or her. And then things can be fine and then things can happen again. So it, it, it often is something really, really so dramatic that the victim will finally leave. And it's also sometimes the victim may be, uh, I guess, motivated to leave because she has found someone to support her. Wow. You know, that's so interesting. And you make such a great point that it's so easy to try to parse these cases into black and white when really it's never that simple. And oftentimes it's a constant cycle that a victim will find him or herself stuck in. So whenever he or she does find themselves stuck in this seemingly endless cycle, what do you think um, would be one of the most helpful things or a few helpful things that a victim can do 
to escape that? It's very tough. The victim, though, and if I, I hope that my words reach somebody out there who may be in an abusive relationship, I want to tell you, you can help yourself. You can help yourself by finding somebody to talk to first on a personal level, someone who you trust, somebody who will listen to what you have to say and who will know that the best thing is, is to hold your hand and to let you talk, not to jump up and down and say, you got to get away from this guy. This guy's a monster. You deserve better because that is really, that's the reaction that somebody is going to feel when they hear that their friend is being hurt, but find somebody and even tell that person, whether it's your best friend, your sister, your mother, your father, tell that person that what you need is to be heard. And what you need is somebody to help you get clarity to leave. So I would say that you, you find somebody who also is not going to be judgmental and demand that you leave. It's very hard. It's very, very hard because your friends love you and your parents love you and your siblings love you. And when they hear that you're being abused, they become very angry. But if you can find someone and you can tell them what you need. You can say, I want to confide in some stuff in you, but I, I just need you. I just need you to listen and to support me as I figure out how I'm going to navigate this. Okay, so that's number one, to get a personal friend to support you. Number two, if you can, you should get the assistance of somebody like a lawyer who can obtain orders for you, restraining orders for you. Or if something happens, you need to call the police. You need to call 911. Do not hesitate. Do not hesitate to call 911 if something happens. And often the police will be called and they'll come to the scene. And that right there might be a way to even jolt the perpetrator into realizing how serious and unacceptable the conduct and behavior is. And it will also enable you to potentially get uh, an emergency order because you need to step away from the situation and figure out how to help yourself. And if you are, if you're not pressing charges, you're trying to get orders because say, for example, you have children with this person, you, the children need a strong and healthy parent. So that's number two to get um, legal assistance or assistance of the police to get orders. Number three, you need to get mental health care because domestic violence causes injury to you emotionally and mentally. You need help for this. You have an injury. And you need to be able to get the assistance that you need or the injury will become much worse. It could become, it could lead to depression. It could lead to post-traumatic stress disorder. 
I know somebody who suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder based upon everything that this person endured. So that's what you can do as a victim. The last thing I want to say, which doesn't have to do with friends or lawyers or police or courts or psychiatrists, this is what I want you to hear me say. I want you to imagine you hearing from your best friend that what you've endured was endured by her. Imagine her saying the words of what happened to her. And imagine telling her what you think she should do. And then imagine that you should be your own friend and that you should do for yourself what you would recommend your best friend to do. Be your own friend. So that's what I hope you will do. And if there's any victims out there, you're not alone. Don't be ashamed. Don't be scared. You need to help yourself and you need to be healthy and you deserve to be healthy and you need to be with somebody who's not going to hurt you, who's not going to cause injury to you and to devastate your life. And you need to be with somebody who's going to treat you as you should be treated. You can't get to that person. You can't get to that new situation or that new chapter until you get out of this one. So I beg you, please get help. Wow. What powerful advice, especially your last few points. There's always going to be someone out there who wants to help you and you're not alone and we will always stand with you however me and Prachi you know we're only 17 most people our age including myself don't know much about how to contact a lawyer or how to get to some of these resources that could be helpful what are some different obstacles that you think minors face whenever coming forward um, with cases of domestic violence that they've experienced? And what can they do to help overcome those varying obstacles? If you are under 18, there are obstacles, of course, to navigate domestic violence. First of all, you might be experiencing domestic violence in the home, and that is very, unfortunately, very common. There could be a parent or a sibling or a step-parent who is hurting you. It could be both your parents. It could be one parent. And there are quite stressful dynamics involved because I've seen situations where a child will be reluctant to tell one parent about the other parent's abuse because she's afraid that the non-abusing parent will side with the other parent. And of course, if it's a step-parent, say it's a stepfather who's committing abuse, to tell them your mother that your husband is abusing me, you don't know what's, you don't know in your head what's going to happen, but you need to get help. And the best way, the absolute best way for a young person to get help is to speak to somebody at school speak to a counselor, speak to a teacher who you trust and tell them what you're going through. And yes, 
it's going to lead to action. Teachers and therapists and doctors, pediatricians, for example, are mandatory reporters. If they hear of child abuse and they suspect that it is real or potentially real, they have an obligation to report it to the authorities. In California or in Los Angeles County, we have the Department of Child and Family Services and they will be contacted if there is any allegations of um, a child in danger. And that department is equipped to open investigations. Now, let me back up. If a young person, a teenager or a child is ever being abused in the home, the child or the young, young, the teenager should call 911, call the police. Now, I'm not saying that you should call the police if your, your parent is yelling at you or telling you, you know, disciplining you for something that happened. But if, if it's what they call over the top, if you truly feel it's over the top, then go ahead and call 911. And if you're not sure, err on the side of calling 911. Um, but if it's not, if it's something that's just ongoing or maybe a little more insidious, uh, violence, such as, um, verbal abuse by your parent or occasional physical abuse, slapping or kicking or punching or something like that, you should tell a teacher or you should tell your pediatrician. Um, both of those, um, professionals are mandatory reporters, um, but you should understand that uh, you have the right to be free of any sort of abuse. Nobody has the right to abuse you, not a parent, not a step-parent, not anyone. And if you don't want to go to a mandatory reporter, such as a teacher or a doctor, talk to, and talk to another adult who you trust. Maybe you have an aunt or an uncle who you trust, or maybe you have a neighbor, or maybe you have, there's a parent of a friend that you can talk to. Um, seek help. Don't be afraid to say, to stand up for yourself. Um, don't, don't say to yourself that you deserved it, no matter what you did. Say, for example, you stayed out too late or you did something that was you, that you got in trouble for. Nothing is justification for corporal punishment aggressive corporal punishment, hitting, slapping, spanking. I, I just do not believe it is, even though there is a lot of corporal punishment in our society. But you need to, you know, seek some assistance if you're in that situation. And if you are, um, I really, really hope that you take care and that you can find help. That is some great advice. And yes, as you mentioned before, it's so important to realize that nobody deserves any kind of abuse. So as you mentioned before, having a support system is super important. So say my friend is in an abusive relationship. What could I do to help them? To help victims of domestic violence, I think the first thing you need to remember is you need to be calm and you need not to be 
very reactive. It is all of our tendencies to be very reactive if we hear about our friend who's being hurt or a loved one who's being hurt. Our tendency would be to say, that's unacceptable. You have to leave this guy. He's terrible. You deserve better. Those statements don't really help. They don't really help even though they're all true. I think the best you can do for somebody who's in that situation is to let them know that you will support them however you can, whether it's speaking to my phone, whether they can come over and stay with you, whether they can just, you know, be a shoulder to cry on. And then I think it's very helpful when the victim is open to it and has the energy, you can speak to the victim with very open questions. You can say things like, well, can you tell me what is it that you really loved about them when you first met? And are, is that still there? What has changed? Is this the kind of person, was he like this when you met him? Chances are very good that he wasn't. And you can ask questions like, well, how did that make you feel when he said that? In a way that's more open-ended, not like, oh, how did you feel about that? I mean, just, you, you want to be open to let the victims process what they've gone through and to say, to give them little facts that will help them. So for example, if the victim says, well, I feel so embarrassed that this has happened. You can say, you know, I can see how you could feel that way, but you don't have anything to be embarrassed about because you are the victim here. You were the one who suffered at the hands of this person. And so you can help him or her try to see that it, it's gonna be okay, even though it's gonna be hard to leave the relationship. And you may hear the victim standing up for the perpetrator saying, well, you know, I was really, I was speaking to him about a subject he didn't want to speak about and he got mad, so I really shouldn't have. And you can just say, you know, maybe it was the wrong time for you to have that conversation with him, or maybe he was tired, or maybe you were really annoying. But understand something, nothing, nothing, nothing justifies the treatment that you received from him, nothing. And you deserve you deserve better. You deserve to be happy. You deserve to be treated the way you treat other people. And to speak to your friend with, with love and compassion and understanding and to try to keep the anger that you feel against the perpetrator at bay, to keep it under control. And if you do that, you will find that the victim will be open to speaking to you more about that. And by the way, sometimes 
a victim will confide in someone about what's going on. And then the friend will see the aggressor or the perpetrator. As a friend, you need to pretend you don't know. You need to not confront the perpetrator because all you're going to do is cause the perpetrator to try to drive a wedge between the victim and you to see you as a threat. So you need to be, you need to get the Academy Award for acting normal, even though you want to claw this person's eyes out because you're so mad. So that's, I think, how to be a good friend. If you are experiencing any form of abuse, please do not hesitate to contact the National Domestic Abuse Hotline. The number is 1-800-799-7233. Or if you live near southwestern Indiana, the Albion's Fellow Bacon Center is a center that provides services to victims of any forms of abuse. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope that this podcast can reach anyone who can benefit from the knowledge of how to assist someone who is experiencing domestic violence or anyone who is currently experiencing domestic violence themselves. And stay tuned for more Ingredients of Change.